And welcome to Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. I am Chris Ryan. We're going to have a very special edition of the podcast today. It's going to focus on one of the essential aspects of our entity, the helpline. Peter Evers, president and CEO of Bamsey, is going to join us in just a moment. But as the COVID-19 pandemic has hit, the challenges have been enormous for all of us, but particularly for individuals who have been operating in the margins, struggling to put food on the table, to pay their rent, and to try to create some income for themselves in a time period where many of their jobs were either shut or limited as a result of the pandemic. And with that has come incredible need and challenging times and circumstances for so many of our citizens in the Commonwealth as well as in the country. I'm going to hand things over right now to Peter Evers, who is going to introduce our guest. Hi, everybody. And we are very excited to have a special guest uh, today on the Humanity First. We have Kathy Anderson, who is our one of our VPs in the Community Service Behavioral Health Division. Welcome, Kathy. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great, Peter. How about yourself? Good. And I think today we really want to uh, carve out a little bit of time to talk about a really important program here at BAMSI and one that isn't necessarily associated with service lines that are clinical or residential, yet it holds this special place, in my opinion, uh, in our community, and that is our helpline. Uh, which, and I always think, you know, it's really good to have a very descriptive name of a program so that people know exactly what, what we're doing. And the helpline is probably the most descriptive of all the programs that we yes. have. Um, and it's one of those places uh, that I, when I got here, I thought there is, there is something incredibly understandable about the intervention that might not be as understandable in a clinical setting or something like that. This mm -hmm. is the program that helps people when they need help right away. And, 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 and Helpline is a number that people can call uh, to ask for help. So Kathy, could you begin by talking a little bit about, um, about the kind of calls that the Helpline's got, and especially with a view to the last year, and you know, as we look at where are we, March the 9th, I think, mm -hmm. I think the official day when we went into lockdown last year was the 13th, it might've been the 14th, something around there. So we've had a year under our belt of people living on the margins, people who have been um, you know, financially uh, subject to hardship, people who are working, looking after their children at the same time and just managing. Um, so talk a little bit about the help, how helplines moved into that space and a little bit about some of the financial help that we've got from other organizations along the way. Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, well, so just to give you a little bit of history, Helpline has been around for about 35 years now. And, you know, when it was originally uh, developed, it, it came out of a community conversation in the greater Brockton area with medical providers who were seeing unmet basic needs that their patients had and were really looking for a place or a way for them to get connected to the services they needed most. And out of that came the BAMSI helpline. And the goal really is to link people in need of services with the supports they need. Um, and so we, you know, take calls, you know, every day, Monday through Friday, and we get calls on the weekends that we return as soon as we're back in the office. And they're from people who are, you know, really um, struggling with food insecurity, with housing issues, with utility bills they can't pay, um, and, and other kinds of basic needs like diapers and clothing for their children. 
um, mattresses for their beds, um, all kinds of things. And so, you know, what happens is people from the community uh, will call maybe uh, another provider who has somebody they're working with and they know that they can come to us to sort of brainstorm what are some of the resources out there. And we try to give them phone numbers, you know, email links. Um, but then people in the community themselves will call and they will tell us stories that just are heartbreaking about some of the things going on. Um, and certainly this year has been more heartbreaking than ever. Um, a, a call that we got that's really stuck with me this year, it was early in the pandemic and a young father, he was just in his twenties, gave us a call. He had three small children at home and his wife had just passed away from COVID and he was unemployed and he was just really struggling and clearly still grieving, um, you know, and when you get a call like that, it's sort of like, where do you even begin, you know? Um, but fortunately we have, um, you know, staff who work with us, volunteers, um, interns, and they, you know, try first to start with just listening and providing that support, trying to understand where the needs are and, Oftentimes people will call with one specific need. They'll say, you know, I need housing assistance. Um, but sometimes we don't have a specific resource for that. We don't always have funds or, um, you know, or we may be aware of a resource, but we know that there's a long wait list or that kind of thing. And so what we try to do is dive in a little deeper to what are some of the other things going on? Because usually if somebody has one big need like that, underneath it, there are a lot of other things going on. And sometimes we might be able to help with a small thing just to give them a little bit of hope and get them through until they can kind of get that other need met. Mm. So sometimes it's, you know, a, a food voucher to the local grocery store, and at least they know where their meal is coming from that day and they can feed their children. Um, you know, but we encourage people to call back as frequently as they need to. And what I've really noticed about the COVID pandemic is the number of people who are calling again and again and again. Years gone by, we might help somebody once a year and, and we would see the trends. You know, the same person would call for fuel assistance every February as money started to get tight and the fuel bills were building up and we would fill their oil tank and we wouldn't hear from them again until maybe a year later. This year, we, month after month, we're getting the same calls. And then on the flip side of it, we're getting calls from people we never needed to help before. And these are people who will say to us, I, I used to donate to you know places like BAMC, and now I need the help myself because I, I lost my job and I don't have any other prospects and you know that kind of thing. So this is a variety. Um, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And Chris, I'm sure you've got a bunch of questions as well. but. You know, what I'm reading about when I look at the news, there are lines of people waiting, you know, at the food bank who say exactly the same thing. This is I've never. And one of the things that prevents people from asking for help is their pride. Right. And the feeling that there'll Absolutely. be the stigma attached to that. Mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. what, does, what does staff do to make people feel you touched on this a little bit, but sure. to, to feel that, that they shouldn't be ashamed, that you mm -hmm, know, this is a mm -hmm. service that that, you know, <laughs> let's face it. Everybody needs support of some kind during the lifespan. If you don't, that's incredibly unusual as far as I'm concerned. But how do you, how do you put people at ease with that shame that they might be feeling? Mm, that's a great question. I think that, 
you know, our staff are, are very um, kind. They have large hearts. In some cases, we have had volunteers who themselves have hit on tough times and so they can relate and they're comfortable, you know, sharing personal experience, validating the person, um, just sort of saying that, you know, we've been getting a lot of these calls. You're not alone. You're not the only one experiencing this. And that's why we've been lucky to have funders who recognize that this is what's going on and who have tried to help. Um, we've been so fortunate to get help from the United Way, from um, some of the local hospitals, from the Brockton Redevelopment Authority. Um, I, I could go on and on. And we've partnered with some of our other, um, you know, like agencies in the community who are helping like My Brother's Keeper and um, Mainstay, Father Brill's Mainspring, um, just trying to figure out how can we, you know, meet these needs together? What can we do jointly? Um, and, and so just being able to say to a caller, you know, we hear this, that there's a group of us in the community who recognize this need and we're doing everything we can to try to support you, I think can be really reassuring and give people hope, which is yeah. one of the big things we're trying to do. I just have so many things that I, I want to talk about. <laughs> I but you did. <laughs> I want to start off with um, the aspect that uh, there is no shame in asking for help. Uh, I am a person that doesn't like to, um, to ask for help. And I think that most people don't like to... Um, to ask for help. And there's a notion that those who are suffering and in need, you know, wants to ask for help. And that is so not the case. I mean, I volunteered at, um, you know, food pantries before, and even those who are trying to be excited and optimistic about being there, you can see, you know, how they truly feel. And, um, you know, we are only as good as the individuals who are around us, in my view. And um, it is extremely important, you know, that individuals don't feel ashamed in, in asking for, for help. And, you know, very often we're asked, you know, in, in BAMSI, like, what does BAMSI mean? What is, what do you do? And to me, Helpline does as good a job as anything in describing who we are. If there is a problem in the community, if there is something that is needed to be addressed, we're going to try to find a solution for that for a individual. And Helpline and what it does in connecting individuals with needed resources or services, to me, is such a essential, bare-bone need in our community. And I'm interested in your, your thoughts on that. Like, do you feel that that Helpline is the basic connecting service of, of BAMSI, that it creates a, an environment where individuals can feel comfortable asking for help and then be connected with the help that they need in a, a way that um, does not produce you know, shame or anything of that nature? I think so. And, and I think one of the reasons um, is that we really strive to empower people. We really want to give them information and resources so that they don't have to ask for help um, frequently or um, that they can meet whatever need they have on their own in the future. And so um, we, we're all about empowering people with, you know, um, for instance, people often don't know how to apply for mass health. They don't even know that they qualify for it if, if they have a child who maybe has a secondary medical condition or a mental health condition um, and they're having astronomical bills and, or they just can't get the resources and services they need. And they don't know that they qualify to apply for mass health as a secondary insurance. 
um, we can educate them around that, help them get set up with it, possibly even help them fill out the application. And now they're all set. They don't have to worry about that anymore. And I think that's a big part of what BAMZ as a whole is, tries to do is is not just, you know, give somebody, you know, something, but, you know, that whole idea of you don't give somebody a fish, you teach them to fish. But I, I really do think that that can take away the stigma as well. Um, we really try to partner with people. We don't see it as something that we're doing for, but rather we're doing with to, to help people. Um, I recently was on a meeting and, and somebody talked about making people whole. And I, I think that's a big part of it. It's, you know, we're, we're not just giving them this little thing here or there, but we're trying to give them all that they need, all the information and resources in one place so that we can kind of make them whole and, and things can improve in their lives. I want to ask about the COVID environment uh, and obviously they bring Peter back into it. We are hearing about the $1.9 trillion uh, American Rescue Plan, which has uh, been passed uh, through the Senate and now going to the House uh, federally, and then there's going to be money that's given to, to states. I'm curious mm-hmm. as to how an entity like Helpline, which is doing mm-hmm. uh, essential work in the community, has that received additional federal funding, and how has that helped to uh, provide mm-hmm. for individuals? Has it been able to meet the needs? Has it fallen short? Could you use more? How would mm-hmm. you assess the the level of support that you've received from the state and federal level um, versus what the need is? So we have been very fortunate um, to receive some additional money um, through the CARES Act to help people with rent as well as utilities and food insecurity. Um, but initially what we what we realized was we were getting a lot of um, money to actually give out to people, but with the volume of need and the amount of funding we got all at once, we didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have enough staff. We run a lot on, like I said, volunteers, interns, part-time staff. Um, but in the, this next wave, we've been able to um, get some support for additional staffing. And we actually were able to then hire a program director. The program director position has been um, unable to be filled due to funding restrictions for, I think, about seven or eight months at a time when we most need somebody, right? But we didn't have that kind of funding because this is this is kind of, you know, we're very much a grassroots program within a, a larger nonprofit organization. And um, so with this CARES money, we were able to, to hire a program director again who can do a lot of that direct work with people and hopefully then get those resources out to the the people who need it the most. Um, But the first wave of funding we got for for helping people with rental assistance was gone in the blink of an eye. And we're still waiting for the second wave. It's been promised, but it just hasn't come yet. And we already have probably that money is spent on paper because we've got so many people calling to request it on a daily basis. So... Yeah, Kathy, I, I know that we just um, were the recipient of an award over the over the weekend. I see where some of that money will be going, and I see this as a, as a multi-funding um, uh, resource. Um, and I bumped into uh, the mayor of Brockton. There's me name dropping uh, the other day. <laughs> Actually, it's not difficult to bump into the mayor of Brockton. He's everywhere. Yes. <laughs> but, but you know, the first thing on his mind is how's that helpline going? I get incredible feedback from people about that, that it, it is such a help. 
Um, and you know, actually, I, I read this morning that the um, the uh, the emergency funding, the one point nine trillion, which I don't really understand what a trillion is, by the way, but I did hear that seven point nine billion dollars of that funding is coming to Massachusetts. So we'd be good with what fifty percent of that for Helpline. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> But, but but seriously, when you think about need, I think the one that, thing that makes me incredibly proud to be involved in this is what you said earlier. Well, two things. One is that you help people to get back on their feet. You know that you don't that you don't just you offer this network of help that's available, and we're working with our partners in the community to provide a network of support that isn't just about filling an oil tank, but it's getting childcare. It's like seeing this big picture of human need uh, and alleviating human um, struggle. And and there is nothing more human service perfect than that, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I want to get into that with with both of you. I mean, that's there's obviously a multifaceted approach to addressing the needs of now. First thing, you have to address the needs of now. Um, And then you want to plan things out and say, well, how do I uh, how do I address the needs of the future? you know, six to six months to six to 12 months. And then it's, oh, how do I address these needs, you know, three to six years from now and, and beyond. So in, in your view, how do we create an environment where the cycle of, of poverty and, and challenges changes in a, in a community and how do we you know, partner with entities in order to change that, um, that cycle that for Kathy and, and Peter. Mm-hmm. You want to start? start? <laughs> okay, I'll start because it's just that question is the question that for generations has been asked in this country and and in lots of other different countries as well. And when you look at that cycle of deprivation and and uh, over generations, it's something that we failed, I think, as a culture to to address. I, my belief, and Kathy, and I'm sure you have much more interesting things to say, but mind me about this. But my feeling is that is education. You know, if it is absolutely true, the longer an individual stays in education, this is a, I think this is a fact still, that beyond 16, your overall earnings, and it's not all about money, but your overall earnings increase 9% for every year that you stay in education post 16. So the idea of connecting this generation with an education that can't be taken away from them is incredibly important. And it's also that whole issue that Kathy talked about earlier on about that teaching self-sufficiency, teaching people to um, have the resilience to deal with what life throws their way. And, and don't and I, I really get annoyed when people say, well, you know, poor people don't know how to budget. They know how to budget better than anybody else on the planet. Because <laughs> you have Think to. about it. No there's no, there's, if there's very little money coming in, you find ways to do that. And we need to mm-hmm. celebrate mm-hmm. that kind of ingenuity with the people that we work with mm-hmm. and give them the same opportunities that, that other people have. So, Kathy, mm-hmm. that, was my, mm-hmm. that was my two cents. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, and while I, I hope that we'll continue to see improvements in keeping kids in school and graduating them with, um, you know, literacy and, and the things that they need, the tools to succeed. I think we, we have to acknowledge we're always going to have um, the working poor. We're always going to have a minimum wage. We're always going to have a need actually for people to work in service industry jobs that don't pay as much. 
Um, and so I feel like we need to have affordable housing. We need to have the ability for people who don't make um, sort of the, the career wages of somebody say with a bachelor's degree or higher um, to be able to still afford to put, you know, three square meals a day on the table and um, have transportation that's reliable to get to their job and those types of things. And I, I think, um, you know, we as a state are the, one of the most expensive states to live in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that just doesn't um, equal, you know, opportunity for all, you know. So I, I think we need to look at that kind of infrastructure as well. And, and how can we, you know, advocate um, housing in particular, though, really stands out for me. The cost of housing is for an apartment, if you can even find one, is just not affordable for yeah. people. You look at the the need that exists, and you look at the amount of money that's being spent, and I don't feel like the $1.9 trillion that is uh, going to be um, signed into law perhaps as early as this weekend by Joe Biden is going to be the end. I think there's going to be additional yeah. infrastructure and also perhaps uh, economic stimulus money down the road uh, as we um, hopefully wrap up the COVID-19 pandemic at some point. And the question is, is there going to be that in infrastructure investment that you're talking about? Because for years, political figures have heard and acknowledged and talked about the fact that there needs to be workforce housing. There needs to be an infrastructure of support for individuals. And many of the, the problems and things that ail are cities and communities uh, could be solved with the type of um, infrastructure investment that would uh, benefit the um, work, working class individuals, whether it's housing, whether it's um, transportation infrastructure, education. And you know, do we truly want to do something about addressing that? Or is this going to be you know, just another circumstance where there's been a lot of talk? And at the end of the day, the people who are uh, poor before are going to continue to be, and there's not going to be um, that appropriate uh, investment. I mean, to me, this is the opportunity to do something about the things we have heard for years, to invest in inner cities, to invest in rural communities that have had a difficulty with the cycle of poverty. Um, and you wonder where the money will go. Uh, generally, it goes to those at the top or those who are in the middle um, to a lesser degree. But we shall see what happens here. Peter, your, your thoughts in closing. Well, wow, Chris, that was pretty sweeping. And, and you know, you know, but I think, you know, these points of light that the helpline is that, that sort of collective collectively provides that safety net. But I agree with you. You know, you look at times in, in this country, the WPA after the Second World War, where you look at the um, the um, I can't remember what they call it, by, but the Reinvestment Act after the um, after the Great Recession, um, that's when things get done. That's when people tend to think, oh, well, we better put some money into our infra infrastructure. It creates jobs. You know, it creates wealth. It's a, and, and that's the only reason, you know, fur coats don't trickle down. But that kind of investment actually helps so many more people. And is there a time in history, I would I would, well, I think after the Second World War, which was which was won by the West on the backs of working people who went to war and fought and died for them. Same thing here. Our essential workers, our lowest paid workers, the most essential, have brought us through one of the most difficult times in our history. And if we don't take the opportunity to recognize that by paying them a decent wage so they don't have to work three jobs uh, to get by, 
to support themselves in housing, then we're missing the greatest opportunity to lift more people up in two or three generations. And that would be my response to that. Well, Kathy, appreciate your time. Really appreciate the work that you do for Helpline. It is such an essential backbone service that is provided within our community. And if you want to provide any additional information, you mentioned volunteer opportunities mm-hmm. uh, and also funding opportunities. Uh, if you wanted to pass anything along in regards to that, we'd certainly be grateful. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that the main thing I want to leave with people is the phone number for the Helpline. It's 508 584 4357 and any information people want they can um, they can ask by calling this number well Kathy appreciate your time thanks so much and look forward to talking again soon thank you Kathy thank you all right you've been listening to the humanity first podcast I am Chris Ryan